Well, good morning, church. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Um, I love summer. I don't know if you guys uh, love summer. Um, I have a memory as a young kid. Something I, I loved to do in the summer was play in my backyard. I'm sure those of you with kids, um, you watch your kids run around in the backyard, or you have memories yourself of being a young kid running around in the backyard. And I grew up at a parsonage at McKernan Baptist. That parsonage no longer exists. It's been demolished and turned into a parking lot. But um, our backyard was really big back there, and what was so fun for me about it was we had a six-foot fence that ran into our garage, and then next to the garage was a shed. So naturally, I loved climbing the fence, going along the fence, jumping onto the roof of the garage, and like hanging out on the roof of the garage, then going on the shed roof and jumping off. Now, my parents were not as big of a fan of me doing this as I was. Go figure. Uh, They were worried about me breaking a bone or getting hurt or whatever. Um, But I still wanted to do this. So I can remember so clearly this this one day when my parents were gone, and I decided I'm still going to climb up onto the garage roof. And so sure enough, I sneak up there, and I, I can remember the adrenaline of, man, I'm breaking the rules, but this is so fun, this is great, and I, I'm doing my thing on the roof. I don't even remember what it was I was doing on the roof. And then I pop onto the shed roof, and I jump off the shed roof. Well, uh, at this time in my childhood, we had a bunch of boarders uh, living at my, my parents' house, and, and one of them sees me do this. And sure enough, they tell my parents. And man, I got in trouble. And this is how you know I was a pastor's kid. My punishment was that I could not attend a church event. I was like, come on. Um, But when I was a kid, I wasn't very good at listening. Uh, Maybe you have similar stories or similar experiences uh, from your past. Maybe you have kids at home right now who maybe aren't the best at listening. Um, The trouble is, when I think about my own life, I don't think I've actually grown out of my, my difficulty in listening. You know, we think of it as this like childish thing, right? We need to listen when we're kids. But the reality is, is when we grow up, we have this sense of, well, I'm an adult now. Can't I just do what I want? And it, I almost think that my sense of listening has gotten worse <laughs> the older that I've gotten. But here's the trouble. The more that I consider what it means for me to walk with Jesus what it means for me to be a Christian, the more I think about that, the more I'm learning and realizing that following Jesus requires listening. Following Jesus requires listening. So when I reflect on this, what I think is this childish reality at work in my life of an inability to listen, and I think that it's something I should grow up out of, if I'm really honest with you, I recognize that, you know, I haven't really grown out of this. But following Jesus requires me to listen. You know, listening is a huge theme in Scripture. It's a massive theme. And and as we look at that, um, I, I want us to look at that this morning by looking at the book of Judges, which might seem like an interesting place to look. And I think in Judges we see both the benefits of listening as well as the trouble of not listening. You know, oftentimes when we talk about the book of Judges, we get really excited because Judges is a book of of battles and and overcoming and these heroic characters characters conquering in these, these situations that just seem like they have no hope of being victorious. But if we really look at the book of Judges, when we step back and we see it in its whole, we recognize that Judges 
isn't so much a book about heroes, but it's actually a really strange book. It's, it's a really sad book. The book of Judges is an incredibly tra- tragic book in Israel's history. Because at the core of it, we see that it is about the people of Israel refusing to listen to God. Which is a tragic, tragic thing. The book of Judges uh, sits in the Old Testament right after the book of Joshua. And the book of Joshua gives us our context for the book of Judges. And at the end of Joshua, Joshua comes before the people of Israel and he says these words in chapter 24, verse 14. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And he goes on, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers in the region, that they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, I choose to serve the Lord. So Joshua puts this out before the people. And, and for our purposes this morning, I think we could summarize it as say, guys, you need to listen to God. God has spoken. God has told you so much. Now you need to be faithful to that. You need to be obedient to that. And the people of Israel respond to Joshua and they say, yes, Joshua, we will do it. We will listen. We will serve the Lord. But then as we read Judges, we watch over and over again how this doesn't take place. And there's a refrain throughout Judges, a a verse that is repeated too many times. And it goes like this. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This is the tragedy of the book of Judges. Now, um, people look at this and the pattern of this, and there's something they've developed. Well, they haven't developed it. They've revealed in the book of Judges something they call the Judges Cycle. Um, So for those of you who love your biblical theology, uh, we're going to talk about the Judges Cycle this morning. And we're going to illustrate it by looking at the life of Gideon. Um, And so, yeah, so let's dive into that. So the judges cycle, it's a circle, so it doesn't necessarily have a beginning. But we're going to look at it to start with the, we look at the story of Israel and we see a time of peace. So coming out of the book of Joshua, Israel's living in the land and there's a sense of peace. Things are really good. Uh, In the context of Gideon, We look at chapter 5 at the very end. Uh, Deborah has just conquered the enemy. And we read at the end of chapter 5 that the land had rest for 40 years. So we have this time of peace in the land of Israel. This is really good. And what's happened that's led up to this time of peace in the book of Joshua, as well in the story of Deborah, is that God has worked deliverance for his people. He's, He's freed them from an enemy. So the people are loving it. They're loving life. They're living in a time of peace. This is the promised land. This is what we were made for. But sadly, as the story goes on, we only have to go one verse to the beginning of chapter 6 to see the next movement in the cycle. Chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So we go from a time of peace to a time where Israel is rejecting 
God's ways. This is not a very stable easel. Rejecting God's ways. Which is what we refer to as sin. And so we've moved from a time of peace to this movement of Israel rejecting God's ways. And in the Judges cycle, the next thing that happens is this reality of oppression. And if we keep reading in this first verse of chapter 6, um, we, we read that, um, And the, the Lord God gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. So they went from peace to rejecting God's ways to this idea of oppression, which is the people of Israel rejecting God, and now they're suffering the consequences of that. Now before you hear this and say, man, God is sure being mean if he's allowing these people to come and oppress Israel, you've got to realize that from Genesis to Deuteronomy, uh, God has spelled out for them so, so clearly the consequences of their actions. If you reject me, this is what's going to happen. It's like a young child who is walking towards a hot oven and you say, don't touch the oven, you're going to burn your hand. (laughs) That's the type of instruction we have in the book of Deuteronomy. God telling his people, if you reject my ways, this is what's going to happen. So when they reject God's ways, as God said it would, oppression takes place. Well, the next movement in the cycle, we read in chapter 6, verses 6 to 10, And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And so here we have a movement in the cycle of of repentance. The people recognize what's going on. They recognize that they're being oppressed because of their disobedience. They recognize that they aren't living the way God has called them to live. And so they repent. They turn back to God. They say, God, we need your help because we are in trouble. Now, in the story of Gideon, a prophet comes, and a prophet spells out to them why these bad things are happening. Um, But the next movement in the cycle we have throughout Judges uh, takes us to God raising up a judge. Oops. God. And this is where We meet Gideon. I can't spell and talk. I'm a terrible speller as it begins. Ah, To begin with. So we see this cycle. We have peace. The people have rejected God's ways. They experience repression. They realize that oppression, so they repent of their sin. Well, they don't fully repent of their sin, but they repent. They cry out to God for help, and now God is raising up a judge. And this is where we meet our character for this morning, Gideon. Gideon. And Gideon's a really interesting character. Because if you think of someone that you'd expect to be raised up to deliver the people of Israel from the hand of Midian, you probably wouldn't choose Gideon. We, we meet Gideon um, in chapter 6, verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide from the Midianites. So here we have Gideon completely full of fear. You might call him a coward. And here we're getting a glimpse of the person that God is going to use to deliver Israel. 
And in verse six, chapter 6, verse 12, we read, The angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, Gideon currently is in a wine press threshing wheat. Now, back in the day, they would have a threshing floor. And the threshing floor was out in an open space. And it's where they would take the wheat and they would, they would do things to the wheat to get it ready for the next step in the process of, of making bread. So they'd thresh the wheat out in the open. Sometimes they had animals helping them do this. Um, a wine press, on the other hand, was oftentimes this big hole in the ground. Uh, they, were, they would fill with the grapes and they would crush the grapes in this wine press. Now, wine and grapes, um, wheat and grapes in this, in this case, don't, they don't go together. And so for Gideon to take wheat into a wine press and thresh the wheat in the wine press, basically he's, he's just hiding. He's scared of the Midianites. And we understand in this context that the, the Midianites have been oppressing Israel by taking their food and taking their livestock. So here we have Gideon who's like, man, I don't want this taken. <laughs> so Gideon is full of fear. And this angel of the Lord comes to him and calls him a mighty man of valor. And just like we learned a few weeks ago with Moses, Gideon is well aware of his insufficiencies. In verse 13, we read Gideon say, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Gideon was doubting God. Where is God anyway? In verse 15, we read Gideon say, How can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So Gideon in no way sees himself as a judge. And those of us reading the story would agree with him. It's like, well, yeah, you're hiding in a wine press. You're terrified. How is God going to use you? So he's full of fear. But Gideon is also full of questions. And this is something I absolutely love in Gideon's story. The questions, the things he asks of this angel. He asks why, where, how, show me. There's no sense for him that it would be irreverent to ask these questions. There's no evidence that he thought his doubt or his fear was not appropriate for this situation. Friends, this is an important theme for us in Scripture. We all have questions about God. We all have questions about life. You think about where we are currently during this coronavirus, and we, we rightly have questions. God, how long will this go on? God, why is this happening? God, why is the economy like this? The trouble is that in the church, we oftentimes think that we're supposed to have all of the right answers. We think that because we know God, somehow everything's supposed to be wonderful and perfect in our lives. But when we read the Bible, that's not the, the pattern that I see. I see men like Moses and David and Peter and Paul who at times are wrestling through different questions. What we see in Scripture is an invitation for us to take those questions to God, not to put them on the sideline. We see in Scripture an an invitation to see that every question we have can be brought to God. And so that is exactly what Gideon is doing. And we read about God's patience with him as this back and forth goes on and on. And what I love is God answers Gideon every time. He gives him reassurance. 
He responds to him in a sign of fire, which we, we heard read for in our scripture this morning. But more than that, too, God gives him a promise in chapter 6, verse 23. The Lord says to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. So Gideon brought all this doubt and God responded to him. Friends, the call of Gideon is a picture of someone listening to and responding to God. And I I can only imagine how earth-shattering this would have been for Gideon. Remember, he's living in a time where the people have rejected God. One of his questions is, where is God? And here he is being raised up as a judge, interacting with God face-to-face. And instead of rejecting God's ways, instead of saying, God, you know, you haven't been here for me, forget it, we're going to figure this out on our own. Instead, Gideon listens and responds. Which takes us to the next movement in the judges' cycle, which is deliverance. Now this is where the Gideon story is really, really cool. It's super cool. It's just one of these, you know, it's like Hollywood type movie, uh, what is about to take place in, the, in, in this story here. So Gideon goes on from here. The first thing he does is he tears down the idols of his father, which it was a really big deal. And again, we see the fearfulness in Gideon because he goes out in the middle of the night hiding from everyone and he takes the idols of Baal and he destroys them. And because he destroys them, he's given a new name. And his name is translated, let Baal contend against him. Which, you know, you go from this guy who's hiding in a wine press to receiving a name that is equal to let a god try to crush him or whatever. It's like, whoa, Gideon's kind of, he's growing, he's getting courageous. And then beyond that, Gideon calls some of the men of Israel to join him. About 32,000 people from, from various tribes of Israel And he says, okay, we're going to go take on Midian. This is what God has called us to. Now Gideon, again, he's still got that doubt. He's still fearful. And so so Gideon throws out a fleece before the Lord. And maybe you've heard this term before, throwing out a fleece. And this is where this term comes from. And the first thing he does, he said, God, I'm going to put a fleece on the ground in the threshing floor. And if in the morning the fleece is full of dew and wet, but all ground around it is dry... I'll know that you are with us. Sure enough, that's what happens. But then Gideon realizes, well, maybe that made sense. Maybe, maybe, maybe the, the fleece absorbed the dew, uh, and that's why the ground was dry. So he flips it. He says, God, I'm going to do this one more time. And if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet, then I'll know that you are with me. And I love the phrasing. It's like, if you will save Israel by my hand. So he throws out his second fleece. Sure enough. What I love after this point is it seems like Gideon is full of faith. Because the next movement in Gideon's story is very uh, confusing. Because God looks at the army that Gideon has, 32,000 people. And he says, Gideon, this is too many people. Too many people. And so he said, anyone who's fearful, send them home. If they're fearful, send them home. So 22,000 people are fearful, and they go home. So we are left with 10,000 people. That's a big difference, right? But then God says, 10,000 people, that's too many people. Still too many people. 
And this weird thing happens where he takes them down to the water and through a process of elimination, they come back out of that and all they have is 300 people. 9,700 were sent home. So here is Gideon with his army of 300 people. The Midianites were described as too numerous to count. Their camels were said to outnumber the sands on the seashore. But what happens next is Gideon again receives confirmation from the Lord through a dream, a dream of someone else. And Gideon takes his men, they, they spread out, and at Gideon's signal, they make a loud cry and they light their torches. And God puts the army of Midian into utter confusion. And the army of Midian, they start killing each other. And they start being full of fear and they flee and they run away because they're scared of this army. They think they're being attacked. And God, in this case, works deliverance. It's a total, total miracle. Friends, stories like these remind us that deliverance is God's business. Stories like these remind us that deliverance is God's business. There's no logical reason for this to have worked. Stories like this call us to trust and believe that God will do what only He can do. Because you look at this story and you're like, there's no way. There's no way. But God worked deliverance. We're going to jump to um, chapter 8, verse 28. We read these words that kind of wrap up Gideon's life. It says, So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest for 40 years in the days of Gideon. And so here we see the cycle complete. Now, we're not done with Gideon's story. And friends, I wish I could go back and rewrite Gideon's story for him. Because after God has worked deliverance for them, there's a strange shift in the story. And, and what I would say has happened is that suddenly there is the, an absence of a specific character. You know, up until this point where, where this amazing thing happens with 300 men, over and over again we read about the Lord. We read about Gideon listening to the Lord. We read about Gideon seeking the Lord. But after Midian flees, we don't read about God anymore. We don't read about the Lord. We don't read about the angel of the Lord. Rather, we read about Gideon, who seems to have been full of um, a confidence because of this victory. And we read about Gideon making some really bad choices. It's a steady decline for him. He has a temper tantrum. He ends up killing various Israelites. Israelite leaders who didn't do what he thought they should do. He goes to take the plunder of his 300 men, and with it he builds a gold ephod, which becomes an idol. This event reminds us of Aaron, the priest, who, while Moses is up on the mountain of Sinai, uh, collects the gold of the people to make the golden calf. We see that same thing happening here in Gideon's story. And what's so hard for me is that the story of Gideon has so many highlights 
I could preach a message all about identity. I could preach a message about responding to the call of God. I could, I could preach a message about God doing what only He could do, but those are only the highlights. The lowlights of Gideon's life is him entering back into this ignoring God's ways, doing things his own way. He went from cowardice in a threshing floor to arrogance. From seeking God's direction to being self-sufficient. From walking God's way to pursuing his own ways. And when we get into chapter 8, sorry, when we get into chapter 9, we see this cycle repeating. And do you know what breaks my heart? It's 40 years of peace. 40 years for them to relearn how to listen to God. 40 years for them to to learn what it means to seek the face of the Lord, to, to follow the commands of the Lord, but instead, they reject God's ways. What do we learn from this? Well, I gotta be honest, I wish that I was immune to a cycle like this. I wish I didn't see these patterns in my own life of, of, you know, times are really good. And it's almost like because my life, things are going great, I, I kind of forget God. I forget who God is. I forget the benefits of following Him. I for, it's not even so much that I forget His ways, but maybe I just reject them. But then life gets hard. There's a global pandemic. The economy is struggling. And, you know, suddenly God seems relevant again. So then I decide to call out, you know, God is so faithful. He is so patient. He responds to us again and again and again. But friends, a cycle of sin, a cycle of not listening to God and and then re-listening and not listening that maybe some of you in your own faith journeys have experienced, we don't have to live in that cycle. Because hundreds of years later, God sends Jesus to make us able to break this cycle. Hundreds of years later, Jesus comes and he demonstrates for us a life of walking in the ways that God has called us to walk. Walking in God's best. And friends, Jesus invites us out of a cycle of sin by inviting us to listen. In the way that God came to Gideon in a, in a, in a wine press and spoke to him as about his identity, spoke courage into him, reminded him that God is faithful, so too Jesus' voice comes to us, inviting us to the same. Jesus is inviting us to listen. Friends, when Gideon was listening, he could follow God into situations that made no sense. When Gideon was listening, he was able to tear down the false gods in his immediate environment that had been built up in his life. When Gideon was listening, he was able to enter into a conversation with God where God confirmed himself to Gideon again and again. We just finished a a class at TCC, well not just finished, a few months ago, um, called Becoming People of Prayer. And one of the the main pillars of that course is this recognition and an understanding that God's voice is the one that speaks first when it comes to our prayer lives. That God is the one who is speaking. 
And I think when it comes to us listening to God, many of us stand in this posture where we say, well, where is God? Where is he? But friends, I believe the Bible tells us that God is the one who's calling out saying, where are you? Where are you? Why aren't you listening? Friends, I believe the story of Judges, the whole book of Judges, we watch over and over again this cycle. Things are good. People reject God. They experience oppression. They repent. God delivers them. He sends a judge, and there's peace. And it happens again and again. Friends, the book of Judges sets us up for the hope that we have in Jesus. A hope that is so real to us today. And you and I can be delivered from a cycle of sin as we choose to listen. So my question for you this morning is, how are you at listening? How are you at listening? Listening to God begins in his word. Recognizing that he has spoken. And as we look to his word, as we study his word, as we immerse ourselves in his word, we we begin to hear him speak. I believe that speaking to God is experienced in our hearts. Some people call it a conscience. But it's that time when you read God's word and something just jumps out at you off the page and you feel like God is speaking to you. Don't reject that. Don't push that away. That happened to me various times as I was studying this passage, just reading through Judges and just feeling like the Lord's speaking. So it begins in his word, it's experienced in our hearts, but it's also confirmed in community. We don't hear God in isolation, but the things we feel he's speaking to us or he's saying to us, we bring that into a community of faith. We share with others the things we're hearing And we learn together what it means to walk with Jesus. So this week, I want to invite you to take some time on your own. Maybe you'll make a pot of coffee and and pour yourself a cup and, and sit and stare out a window. Maybe you'll watch a sunrise or sunset. Maybe you'll go for a walk. But I want to encourage you this week to take time and come before the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord Lord, what are the ways that I've avoided listening to you? What are the ways that I've been like Israel where I've rejected your way? And then as you have memories maybe playing in your head of those times, you ask God for forgiveness for them. Say, Lord, forgive me for the times that I chose not to listen. And then you could come before him sincerely and pray, Lord, Will you help me to listen? Will you help me to listen? I think we have those three questions for this this screen, but here they are again. Lord, what are the ways I've avoided listening to you? Lord, forgive me for the times I chose not to listen. And Lord, will you help me to listen? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for the work of your son, Jesus for the hope that we have in him. And God, we thank you that Jesus came and worked deliverance. 
And Lord, we thank you for the deliverance that he works in our lives. But God, we ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to be a people who listen, who follow your ways, who hear your voice and walk in the truth of your word. Lord, make that so in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.